0: Eighteen years after he brought us the lo-fi superhero thriller Unbreakable and a mere three since the surprise sequel Split, M. Night Shyamalan finally completes his so-called East Rail 177 trilogy with glass. All the key players from the previous films return, led by Bruce Willis's blue-collar vigilante and Samuel L. Jackson and James McAvoy's supervillains. Now, much of the action takes place in the mental institution where the trio are incarcerated and probed by Sarah Paulson's sceptical psychiatrist. Now, I really enjoyed and highly recommend watching the first two movies before you head off to the cinema for this one, if it's not too late, of course. Glass is scored by West Dylan Thordston, who also provided the music for Split. Now, it's an edgy, minimalist affair with the ambient gloom and agitated strings reminiscent of Ben Salisbury and Jeff Barrow's incredible work on Alex Garland's Annihilation. See episode 85. And it's with West's cue backfire that we begin, as night reflects upon the history of a trilogy nearly two decades in the making. I should say that if you haven't seen Split and intend to do so anytime soon. You might want to wait before listening to this, though it wouldn't be the end of the world. Welcome to Soundtracking.
1: Thank you. Great to
0: see you. Um, Listen, congratulations on Glass. I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: I don't know. It was just wonderful. I deliberately watched the previous two films over the last two weeks and kind of did it in order. It was a great experience.
1: Thank you. Kind of going back
0: 18 years to Unbreakable and then Split and then knowing in anticipation that I was going to see this new film. People have got to do that. <laughs> thats I think that's a real treat to yourself as a film fan to do, to be uh, honest. Oh,
1: thank you. Yeah, it's been wild. I'm just starting to internalize where we are, that, you know, finished the trilogy. It's done. And, yeah, I know. <laughs> is it sad? <laughs> it is sad. It is sad. and I have a lot of emotions about it. I I'm not, Yeah, I'm not even sure how to take it, because it feels a lot about... A, a part of my career this this section of my career yeah. coming to a close and then starting another one and mm-hmm. you know not knowing where i'm gonna go and what i'm gonna do and you know just all those scary things
0: yeah. <laughs> how much of you is in those those three
1: terms? i mean a lot a lot they're kind of you know modern fairy tale versions of the things that i'm angsting about and worrying yeah. about so i i feel Close to them, so close, and they remind me of who I was at each moment of those of the making of those movies. So they're very, very much parts of me.
0: Was it easy to go back, particular with David? He is a character we were introduced to 18 years ago, yeah. and we find him now, pretty much. Yeah. I, I mean, it's hard to kind of talk about the film too much because yes. we don't want to give anything away. And as my pet hates with these <laughs> spoilers come on guys yeah we'll be careful spoil it for any of us but tiny little thing that i loved was that it's the same actor who played his son 18 years ago that plays yes. him like. yeah. those little things are really important
1: huge yeah i mean and i think that that idea of where is he 18 years yeah. later what is it like if you thought you had this power if you if you thought you were a superhero? Where, Where would you be? What would your life be like? Would it be okay? or would it be would it wear on you? Would it would you not want it anymore? And so I get to explore those those kind of emotionalities.
0: And is it something that you talk to Bruce about?
1: Yeah, okay. Oh, you mean making the movie or yeah, what we just talked about, both. Yes and yes. Yeah. I mean, he, and Sam really wanted to make the sequel for this whole time. They really wanted to tell more stories about those characters. And uh, I just wasn't ready, you know, to, to do it. Yeah. And, and again, because of the reason that we talked about that, it, it's got to be me uh, now and not me then yeah you know i can't just go okay i'm gonna pretend i'm the we're on the same date that we went on before yeah. and
0: also letting david get to this point I yes. think. do you know what i mean yeah. you don't want those characters having a, a similar experience at the same time yes you know one's new to it what you know or, or whatever it's that kind yes. of that life experience of being in these situations yeah i think kind of gives gravitas to it as well
1: yeah I, I i agree you know we want we want it to be textured and 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 have complexity and you 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 the resonance of a movie i feel you know i'm very happy when mm, the movies have long shelf life you know and and like unbreakable and i think that comes from being honest and authentic to where i am so for example is there was there a more buoyant version a more funny fun version of unbreakable that would have made more money and audiences would have got a little bit better Yes, I just wasn't in that headspace.
0: I'm glad you didn't. Yeah. That, so.
1: <laughs> but, but, you know, <laughs> because I was honest, I think it resonated. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. e- these movies, and hopefully many, many years from now, people will feel these movies, these three movies, and, and it'll connect with them because they'll, it'll, you'll feel the authenticity of whoever, whoever told it. They may not even know it's me at that time, but it was being honest.
0: Yeah. It's amazing to meet you. It is simply extraordinary. Maybe this will all make sense if I explain who I am. My name is Dr. Ellie Staple, and I'm a psychiatrist. My work concerns a particular type of delusion of grandeur. It's a growing field. I specialize in those individuals who believe they are superheroes. Good for you. The three of you've convinced yourselves you have extraordinary gifts, like something out of a comic book. David Dunn, the only person to survive that train wreck all those years ago. What do you do? I'm in security. You think you have superpowers? It's a feeling.
1: Vision. I have to touch them.
0: You believe you are a protector.
1: My name is Patricia.
0: I have no question, there are two dozen identities. I'm Mary Reynolds. Por favor, señora. We almost got you, bro. That live in that body with you. The beast is coming any minute now for you guys. But what I am questioning is your belief that you are something more than human. And yet, it is true. Last night at the um, the UK premiere, you said that this character Kevin, who you were like, I don't know if there's anybody who can play this, mm. and then you told this lovely little story about meeting James McAvoy, yeah, in person, yeah, and going, oh my god, that's the guy. <laughs> what was it about him? What happened that made you realise that actually this is somebody who could who could do this, and who could create these characters and bring them to life?
1: You know, when I was writing it, I was coming from a a particular emotional place, like an an empathetic place for each of the characters. So even though they were doing horrific things and being very scary, and even the, the, the disorder itself is very frightening, I was feeling very emotional for them and enjoying them and feeling that they were funny and quirky and they weren't thinking of themselves as anything but real people and they had a purpose for being there and so I was having those emotions and, and thinking of them in that way and I was like well who could play this and who would want to play this someone that eats girls and is climbs walls and plays a woman a child a killer a, you know all of these mm-hmm. things but won't do it as a gimmick because it so easily could become a gimmick you know yeah. all of these things it's it could become silly and up walks James McAvoy at a party and says hello to me at Comic-Con and he says he's talking he's you know so regular he's so ordinary and normal and sweet and gentle and I was like wow what if somebody gentle played these parts and he had a kind of a mischievousness about him and I was like gentle and mischievous hmm this is perfect.
0: <laughs> Stop, we found him. Yeah. On. yeah,
1: and he's like a nice guy. What if a nice guy played this? And yeah. that was my instinct. We need to find a nice guy who's willing to play these incredibly bizarre characters.
0: Well, it's interesting you kind of earlier talking about, you know, it wasn't the right time for this, or, you know, I needed to... Similarly with James, in that I, I read that you originally wanted that character to feature in Unbreakable, but you couldn't quite, you know, in terms of where it was placed or how you would incorporate it in. And I'm glad that you didn't, because we wouldn't have had James split. <laughs> Absolutely. In, this in terms of, you know, it was it was it was meant to be, I guess.
1: Yeah, it was meant to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, pu- pu- I pulled it out of Unbreakable, the whole split storyline, and th- finished the Unbreakable part, and then was like, okay. I don't know if i'll return to this but and then i felt really kind of hurt and confused by the reaction to unbreakable at the time and just said you know i'm just going to put this aside You know, I don't. I don't think I'm ever gonna finish this Mm. this trilogy. And then slowly time heals wounds, and and everybody started going, hey, we really do like Unbreakable. And then it kept growing and growing over the years until they're like, well, Unbreakable's your best movie. And I'm like, well, where were you on opening day?
0: (laughs) You fickle bunch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) And and I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Now it's my best movie. Okay, great. (laughs) Um, And that combined with kind of, I think the tone of cinema getting a little bit more accepting of weird. Yeah. And I was really interested in weird, you know, that kind of Lynchian, kind of odd, kind of like, is this scary? Is this, scary? this is funny? And it really opened me up to tell that story again. So I, I could went in and fin- finally looked at the notes, my old notes that were handwritten from fifteen oh, wow. years ago, and all the dialogue I wrote from fifteen years ago, and like I had dialogue from Patricia and from Hedwig and from Dennis already written, and so I, I knew them, you know, and so we I just started writing.
0: I was sent to get you for a reason. Open the door! No! There's a flower on the pillows, a flower in the bathroom. Like we're important. The only chance we have is if all three of us go crazy on this guy. Who is that?
1: Maybe she can help us. We're here. Help we're in here. Don't worry. He's not allowed to touch you.
0: He knows what you're here for. Listens to me.
1: My name's Hedwig. How old are you? Nine. I've never seen a case like this before. Twenty three identities live in Kevin's body. Who are you?
0: Help me get out of here, Hedwig.
1: Are you trying to trick me? I'll tell on you. Aren't you the clever one? An individual with multiple personalities can change their body chemistry with their thoughts. Someone's coming for you. Who's coming? The Beast.
0: Music. Yeah. Do you, um, do you listen to music when you're writing?
1: Yes, I do. I listen to scores of movies mostly. Okay. But not movies that I am particularly versed with okay So
0: you don't have that emotional connection with them yes and, yeah. exactly okay.
1: and I don't want to ruin those movies for me <laughs> <Okay>. so, so, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I tend like oh if I like you know um, plot or something I'll go find uh, other of his okay. scores that that are that are from smaller movies or movies that I don't necessarily know and then listen to those yeah. that kind of thing so I do listen to scores and, and then when I start writing, uh, there'll be a moment where I have to stop the score if it, it be, because that's when I become so specific into the, the movie that I'm writing that you, that generalized music's not working for me. Yeah. But it does get me close.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with both Split and Glass, you worked with Wes Dylan at Thordson on, yeah. on the music. And, um, and prior to that, this incredible long-standing relationship, uh, you know, a, and creativity, collaboration yeah. with James Newton Howard. You only work with people who have three names.
1: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to music. <laughs> yes. Um, They're one third better than the other guys.
0: <laughs> um, but can we talk about, um, West first if that's all right, yeah. just in terms of the discussions that you had with regards to, because when, when Glass starts, there's this incredible... Um, tension that's beautifully created i think with with the help of the score mm. with this kind of uh, the score that incorporates a kind of ticking yes are going to give that essence of kind of time Another really beautiful piano piece. I yes. uh, really resonated with me as well. But but would you mind talking about first of all working with him on Split, yes. and then the conversations you had moving on to Glass?
1: Yeah, West was a wonderful, wonderful find for me. You know, he um, had scored uh, an HBO show called The Jinx. Okay, and so that's where I heard the music, and I said, who did that music? Because I thought it was really completely unusual and really brought colors to that documentary that I, I, that I thought were astounding. And West had done it. And then I said, hey, do you want to talk to me about a new movie I'm doing? And I told him about the movie, gave him the script. And then he wrote a piece of music. And at first he wrote, we had a little bit of uh, tempon from something. I forgot. Oh, I had originally, <laughs> it was crazy. I had originally uh, scored was thinking I was going to score Split with old uh, Morricone music. Yeah. We were going to do the entire score with old, old Morricone music from Italy. Okay. And and so I got the rights to all these things, and we tried it every and It was super, you know, big and weird and all that stuff. Yeah. So the first cuts of Split had that in it. And then I'm like... I don't think this is gonna work. It's just the movie feels too modern, and that feels too dated. Uh, against it, yeah. And then when Wes came on, the first thing he wrote was kind of like a copy of one of those. And I'm like, ah, this is not gonna work. And I was like, I don't think this is gonna work, Wes. Well, thanks anyway. Mm-hmm. And then I was sitting with the editor, and he was like, you know, Wes sent another piece, and I was like, he he did? And and I and then I listened to it, and he played it for me, and it was this cello. That was growling <laughs> and I was like he wrote that and he's like yeah I mean for our movie and he goes and I, they go yeah and I'm like get him on the phone and I was like "West, that's amazing and I was like you got to do this that's like the beast it's amazing And so then we talked, and then he came on, and he did that incredible score. And then we, we doubled down on Glass. Like, he moved to Philadelphia. And he lived with us, basically, and while we were shooting and Amazing. watched everything we did. Um, he's a very sound-oriented uh, builder of music. So he finds sounds the way, you know, he'll take, he'll play like that when he played a cello in his bathroom and then played it back, recorded it, played it back to a speaker in another room, recorded that, and then did something, you know, like very organic, yeah. you know? It's like a sound scientist. Yes, exactly. In the score, I think he's like cracking ice outside of his house in Minnesota. <laughs> um, and so, just everything you can think of. And in Glass, we were shooting in a mental institution, an abandoned one. And he would go in after we rapped in the middle of the night, set up microphones everywhere, and record violins and drums in the rooms of where we were shooting, oh, where wow. the scenes take place. So, in
0: the bubblegum room? Yes.
1: Yeah, so, the bubblegum room, he would like play the drums. The drums that are in th- that scene were recorded in that room.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah,
1: really crazy. He's that guy. And he'd bring in his violinist and I'm, I'm sorry I'm forgetting the name but I think I think it was one a very big rap violinist and and that violinist came and played in the in like 2 a.m 3 a.m and playing these things and it's bouncing off the walls and he's recording it And so the score for Glass is very organic and very one-of-a-kind and only-west and textural and amazing. And he's a very emotional composer, but not syrupy in any way.
0: Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. It's really fascinating to hear how different composers work. Yeah. you know, And like you say, you never know until you get something from them, really, yeah. whether it's going to work or not. No. Or whether the connection's made emotionally with yes. like the story and the characters. Exactly. Obviously, there's, that's something that worked over so many films with yourself and yes. James Newton Howard. And, yes. You know, and a remarkable going back to Sixth Sense as well and, and, yes. and, and that. Can you remember? working with him for the first time.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, James is the, ni- the nicest man, and then we, we, became, we became so close. Yeah. And, you know, he you know, was a big brother to me, and just we just were super close. And um, I'm trying to remember what the first thing he was he scored. I can't remember what the first thing was, but I do remember the recording session for Six Sense and just being blown away by hearing it all together finally. I'm, and again, I was very specific, and I think to the point where he was probably like, who does this kid think he is? This is crazy. How <laughs> many times is he going to ask me to rewrite this? And you Not know,
0: that I, crazy because you worked together for a long time. I <laughs>
1: well, that was at the beginning, I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. He's like, it's better, this, this kid better know what he's doing because he's really demanding. And we would—I would send him like, you know, poetry about what I want the score to feel like. Like I would describe the—the. The, the, I remember I wrote him something like it, the, the music should feel like an animal moving around the room and never settling, or something like that. I would write, and he would keep these things, and they would mean something to him. would write a suite of music and then that's what we graduated to in our, in our relationship. He'd write a suite of music based on the screenplay and based on the storyboard so we were coming from the same pool and influencing each other and so like they were so dramatic even signs he wrote that the, the main theme for signs while you know I was shooting and, and play, I played it for everybody and I, like I knew where we were headed and it kind of added to the buoyancy feeling of the yeah. movie.
0: influence you then in terms of where you're going if you were getting music that early in yeah. terms of helping you with the Definitely. pace and emotion and all just that the
1: kind. emotion the color where are we aiming and that same thing happened in the west too because i would finish shooting and he'd be in his little room and he'd be like let me play you what i just recorded last night and and i put put it to this and hey i have this ticking idea what do you think about this this kind of like rising wave of ticking through the whole thing and i was like wow this is amazing like wow we're going to come to the the climax here of this trilogy we're going to you know connect it all
0: or how do you think your relationship with music and composing for your films has changed over the years Mm. how do you think it's kind of grown and developed
1: i'm more articulate able to articulate with the composer in maybe their language a bit you know and say why the violin is not as good as the cello and you know what is what is the emotionality that's ringing to and then they take that specificity and then give other much, you know, stuff that I never yeah. said to them, but um, they bring a ton of new stuff, hey, I know what you were looking for, that kind of masculine kind of anger that the cello has, whatever it is I said, and then he says, that gave me the idea for this, this, and this, and so I t- tried this, what do you think, kind of thing. wish and I wish that my mom tried to make me learn the piano and I did for a little bit and I stopped and I'm so pissed that I didn't just keep going I know
0: just coming in the hotel here today and the lady downstairs is playing the piano I'm like oh man if only I'd stuck why
1: didn't I just stay (laughs) it's not like I was the the popular ladies man in middle school I should have just damn it
0: You've used contemporary music in mm. in films as well, you know. Not not so much in these films, but yep. there's a really great reference to current artists, you know. In particular, with um, with one of the characters that James plays, yes. um, where he's like Kanye's my man, and, uh, and now yeah. it's Drake. Yeah. You know, I like Nicky for a bit, but then when yeah, it's such a great little, you know, kind of nod to to what's going on. What a nine-year-old kid! I've got a ten-year-old boy, so I know exactly. <laughs> Um, but but contemporary music and when when you're thinking and, and making decisions about if it's right and where to put it and stuff is that is that an easy thing to do? Do you sometimes write things into script or, or where and how does that? Y-
1: you mean from? in terms of what's playing? Uh, and, I, mean, I I both do, actually yeah. in terms of
0: if it's playing within mm. the background or if it's just uh, an existing track that you might want to use.
1: Well, I have a fantastic music supervisor, Sue Jacobs, who's you know so quirky and has these weird wonderful instincts so like in glass we have you know music playing in the, uh, Elijah's rooms yeah. you know kind yeah. of that he that he hears and it really gives this sense of what the hospital is trying to do kind of lull him into a sense of complacency yeah. and everything's all right just sit in the chair it's going to be okay
0: take your meds
1: yeah just take your meds you're <laughs> getting better
0: <laughs> or is he? <laughs> that's all I will say. <laughs> and, but that's kind of that decision. Is that in your script? In terms of there's music playing? No,
1: no. But uh, but Sue, the first thing that her job is to read the script and say, I see where source music can go. Amazing. Why don't we try here, 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 and here? And when she she came up with the idea of like, what do you think about I'll put in music in every Elijah room scene and see what you what you think? And I'm like, yes. And the the first thing she did was put in all of this classic amazing classical music so like nat king cole and all this stuff and i'm like i love it this is amazing and then she's like all right that's gonna cost five hundred thousand dollars per song i'm like what what do you mean i, I don't like it the anymore piano, I knew I have been a <laughs> we're not using that
0: it's Crazy.
1: i know i was like what that's like another week of shooting no we're not doing that
0: but you have to use big names. Yes. You know, you've got you've I mean Dylan, there's a lot of yeah. Dylan. Um when we go back to, to your earlier films in Lady in the Water.
1: Yeah, that one in particular we did talk about in advance, you know, mm. about about the Dylan use and all that stuff. But and but so yeah, so if we had in advance said we're going to use, you know, Nat King Cole and, uh, and Ella Fitzgerald and uh, all these, these iconic, you know, yeah. uh, um, singers. We would have budgeted for a thought of it and it wouldn't have been like, a sh- like,
0: no! Yeah, less sandwiches. Yeah, like exactly. type thing as well. Um, what about for you as a, a film fan growing up, were there, were there films that really resonated with you in terms of the score connected as well as the film and you were aware of the score?
1: Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, every movie. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I mean, every single movie. I um, mean, I'm almost astonished when it's not there, like the birds and things like that. Or, or it's it's incredible minimal use, like in The Exorcist, with the tubular bells, which you think are everywhere, but yeah. it's like 45 seconds of a movie. It's very, it's Nothing. Posing is, is incredibly delicate because it's so colouring of all the emotion, everything gets changed. Um, it's doing such so much storytelling that emotional storytelling that it can get in the way, it can undermine, it can put it can undermine performances, it can it can make it generalized, it's so hard. It's like someone talking too loud or a guitar solo going on too long mm-hmm. or something like that and and so it's very, very. you have to find exactly the right storyteller to work with you. And so it's a critical relationship. Maybe the most important for me in making movies is the composer. Um, you know, when you see the theme-based scoring of John Williams and what he did with, you know, Steven Spielberg, it's, it's incredible that those two connected at that time. I mean, it's that kind of synergy that causes history, right? Yeah. That that. The greatest thematic composer of all time, with with the greatest high concept filmmaker of all time, together, you know, doing these things together, incredible, you know, and they're both buoyant, they're not, you know, and they're both light, but you know, and 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 have that same kind of childlike movement to exactly. it, yeah. incredible, you know, that 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 existed. So that relationship has obviously, you know, meant meant a huge amount.
0: It's amazing when you even hear, like, some of those, you know, some of those scores that you mentioned, when you hear them solitary, mm-hmm. you know, without without watching the film and yeah. how visual they become as pieces of music, you know, mm. they create the images in your head almost, don't they? Sometimes?
1: Yeah, you know, you know, temp music, where you temp a movie with music from other movies before the composer works, which I don't do, but the, the amazing thing about uh, John Williams' stuff with Spielberg is you can't temp any movie with that music, because <laughs> yeah. it's just, like, you temp the music of Jaws into this movie? Are you crazy? <laughs> It does you know, how, how what a compliment's that. You can't generalize that music in any, you can't even use it for temping temp because it's too specific. Yeah. Incredible.
0: seems for you it's really important that your composer whoever that is is, is involved early on yeah it, it has to be that case because yes. so many of the directors that we speak to sometimes don't have that luxury where yeah. it is a case of they've edited the film with temp music and they bring the composer in yeah which can also be a real bugbear for the composer because it's kind of like can you make me something that sounds a bit like this yes and you know so it's a lovely position to be in but it feels like it's part of the creative process for you that yeah. they need to be
1: there. Yeah, the temp music is so deadly, the, the idea of putting in temp music. Because if it works, great, you're fucked. <laughs> That's somebody else's score. Yeah. Now you're going to copy somebody else's score? Because now <laughs> your movie won't work unless you copy the, the Hans Zimmer score? What? <laughs> so good luck with that. It was, just think of it as a relationship. honey. I want you to wear this dress from this other girl. Yeah. I've been dating this other girl, and she's been wearing this dress, and it's been going really, really well. So, honey, can you wear your hair like this and wear this dress? And if you could talk the way she is. She, she laughs kind of like this. That would be really great because it's going to go really well if we do that.
0: That's a great way to Jeez. think
1: <laughs> Temporary girlfriend or temporary wife. Proxy wife till till the real wife comes.
0: Just going back to your trilogy as well is is the way that really subtly but brilliantly at the end of Split Mm. you bring something back in as well just to
1: yeah yeah that was
0: that was really great. Yeah, that was that that was I
1: was so torn about doing that about yeah at the end of Split about whether to bring in the Unbreakable music that way because I knew it was going to erase everything. You know, it was going to make you emotionally forget everything you just saw, to some extent. To a great extent. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be incredibly effective in that moment, but it might have been too effective, you know? So I was worried about that feeling. Um, but, it, you know, I, it, it turned out to be so delicious for the audience. Gorgeous. that Yeah, that as soon as that started, w- when we screened it for the first time at a film festival and that music came in, you saw some people sit up like, what? What? And they, they thought in retrospect some of them thought it was just temp music that I attempted it but it started and they were like what? what does this mean? and then it built and built and it got louder and louder and kind of said pay attention to me, pay attention to me and then Bruce showed up
0: doesn't make enough films now just watching him on screen is delicious
1: I know I mean he's a superstar
0: oh my god
1: there's something about superstars I don't know what they do internally it's effortless they're like can I have a cup of coffee and you just swoon you're like yes you can have a cup of coffee yeah
0: he said hello to me last night just before we had to do the on-stage and I didn't know what to say to him (laughs) just say hello it's fine (laughs) but it was just brilliant to watch him on on screen, I just want him to do more.
1: Yeah, yeah. he's so lovely, and um, I, I, you know, I, I like where he is as a as a person. He was, you know, very fatherly, and so I tried to bring that out, that kind of connection yeah. to your children. It is a
0: beautiful relationship mm. that they, yeah, well they had in the original film because yeah. it was, it was really interesting in yes. terms of you know the the son's questions and his pure adulation and, yeah. uh, and kind of excitement about where his dad could potentially be. Yes. And then where we see them in this film as well—it's a yes. beautiful relationship. Yes,
1: yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah, I was happy, and for me, I just wanted to honor Bruce and Sam. I don't—they're—they're they're somewhere between big brothers and father figures, whatever that is. Mm. Uncle figures, yeah. <laughs> Godfather, <laughs> figures. Yeah, Godfather. Yeah, Godfather figures to me, and they, and uh, wanted to, you know, maybe present them to the world in the most, the best way.
0: And Sarah Paulson, I have to mention as well. Yeah, she's amazing. She's, oh my god, <laughs> she's awesome. She
1: is awesome. Yeah, what what a uh, explosion of firecracker. She's amazing.
0: I feel like where did she come from as well? Because I've obviously watched her over the last yeah uh, maybe five six years. She's really kind of you know kind of she's up there now. In yeah. Terms of, but I kind of feel like I want to go back to the start to where yeah because she's just electric on on screen. She really is.
1: Yeah, you know I met I met her when she was. Um, much younger. I'm trying to think what year, and I didn't remember that I had. By yeah. the way, so and then and and all I remember is that girl's energy, mm-hmm. um, and now I see the woman version of it. You know, and that kind of she's like a you know an acrobat. She's constantly buzzing to yeah. her energy. is yeah. like a light bulb.
0: Yeah. What's next? Do you know?
1: You know, I don't. I'm very, you know, terrified, and um, I know. I mean, I have a couple ideas, and as we were talking now, we were talking about music and things like that. My mind started going a little bit to the possibility of one of those, and and what it could be like, and um, it's so hard because it really wants to be nothing to do with anything other than a story and a character, and because I. I write them. It should just be that. It should be just be that, and I want to separate it from the, all this hoopla of glass and the movie's opening yeah. around the world and everyone's so excited and blah 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 and all this stuff. And it made this much money and that much money and this and that and all this stuff. And oh, I love it. And the reference. And really, that's done. That's yours, and it's it's done. And I yeah. need to start a new story. So it's really hard to kind of compartmentalize like
0: yeah. that. Yeah, a new chapter.
1: A new chapter. Yeah. I look forward to. Thank it. you.
0: Love you to chat to you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you Thank for you. having me. West Dillon Thornton's score to Glass That's Original Story, borrowing heavily from James Newton Howard's Unbreakable theme and rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with M. Night Shyamalan. (laughs) My huge thanks tonight for taking the time to talk to us. Glass is on general release around the world now with Unbreakable and Split available via various streaming services. Now there's a Spotify playlist for this show available via edithbowman.com which is also the place to subscribe to the podcast and catch up with all of our previous episodes. Please do follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and also please do keep telling your friends about us if you like what you hear. Now we've got two sound for the price of one coming up next as first Dean Debois and then Barry Jenkins join me to discuss how to train your dragon, the hidden world and if Beale Street could talk respectively. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company.